You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. Today, the making of Lacajo Full, featuring creators Harvey Firestein, Jerry Herman, Arthur Lawrence, and star George Hearn. This program was originally broadcast in 1985. This is Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater past, present, and future. I'm your host, Paul Lazarus. Today, the making of La Cajo Full, the enormously successful collaboration of three great talents, Arthur Lawrence, Harvey Firestein, and Jerry Herman. <laughs> Director Arthur Lawrence. It's the happiest experience I've ever had in the theater. The three of us got along absolutely marvelously. Harvey always refers to us as the collaborationists. We never really had a disagreement. Book writer Harvey Firestein. I came in one day and said, and we had our work to do for that day, and I said, I had the most fabulous idea, but I'm just in case. Today we don't come up with great things. I'm going to save it for the end. I'm going to hit you both one day. <laughs> and, and you're going to die. And Jerry said, well, I had some thoughts too. He said, but well, I'll save it for the end. I'll say, good, because I have something I want to say right now. I had this idea. His idea was my idea, which was his idea. <laughs> Composer, lyricist, Jerry Herman. I feel like I've written a musical with three heads. This is the first time I've ever felt this way. I don't feel that I have just written music and lyrics and someone else has written book and someone else has directed, I truly feel like one mind has put this together. At an American Theatre Wing seminar, the three collaborationists of La Cajo Full talked about how they began work on the show with a common goal. The first thing was that we wanted to write an old-fashioned musical. We set out specifically to write an old-fashioned musical. We wanted a plot. We wanted songs that had melodies. We wanted real emotions in it. We wanted big sets and costumes. 
And then under Arthur's tutelage, tutelage, that's the right word, you see how he teaches me? <laughs> I learned how to service this man. The first day that we, we, we had our first meeting, I remember very vividly Harvey coming to the two of us and saying, I don't know how to write a musical. Help. And Arthur and I said, you're with two old war horses. What are you worried about? It? And of course, two days later, he was telling us. <laughs> I'd like to say something about a phrase Harvey used, uh, old-fashioned musical, which I think has a pejorative connotation, and it shouldn't. I see all this talk about new, innovative musicals and the influence they've had. I'd like to know what that influence is. When we used to do these auditions, I'd say two things at the beginning. One was that what I felt was long missing from Broadway musicals were songs that people could sing and wanted to sing. And another thing was emotion, character. And what I felt and what I do feel is that most Broadway musicals are all icing and very little cake. And here, thanks to Harvey and Jerry, we have cake with human ingredients. And I think there's been too high a premium put on cleverness rather than on touching the heart and illuminating the mind with ideas. That's I don't think point. that's old fashioned. I think that's theater. I think that's a very good According to Harvey Firestein, director Arthur Lawrence had a unique way of letting the writers know when he was dissatisfied with their work. Arthur has a certain lovely quality of honesty. Oh. You bring him a scene, you read him the entire scene, and he looks at you and says, a dog, out, when all he really wants is two words changed. Um, Jerry would sing a song and he'd say, a dog, out, and he wanted a lyric change, a simple lyric change. And the two of us, until He's Jerry and I got used to that, until we got used to it, I mean, I would watch Jerry's face go like that, and then mine. I left many meetings in tears. I mean, as soon as I got outside, as soon as I got outside, really? I'd let the tears go. And then we hit it that one day where I finally put down my pen on the table. We were in Jerry's dining room. And you got to remember, no matter what the difference was, this is constant three people working together, not fighting. I just said, Arthur, you have a certain idea, a certain certain sensibility of a certain somewhere you want the show to go. I don't think 
that you're listening to what I'm writing, and I don't think you understand where I want to go. And I think that you're right, that you know how to write a musical, and I don't, and I think you should take over and do it from now on. And sort of put it down. It was that day, it wasn't even a couple of meetings later, when he said, well, at least read over what you wrote before you walk out, because I'm not writing this show. Believe me, I'm not writing this show, I'm not that crazy. And I read the scene, and I forget what line it was. I think it was, um, Oh, well, you should have seen the look on Georges' face when he heard uh, Jean-Michel was marrying a woman. I mean, a white woman. And I think it was that line. He went, that's crazy. I said, yeah. He said, oh. And then all of a sudden was the click. The fact that you all came together so well makes your work so cohesive. Song on the Sand is another moment where the staging, the scene proceeding, and the song are woven together so well. I wanted to have a romantic theme that went through the show, that would end the show, that would be a statement that we'd hear several times during the show, that would be Alban and George's theme. Because first and foremost, this is a love story. And to be honest, to the material, I had to write a romantic song f first. So that was the second thing I wrote. I simply presented it to Harvey. Here's, and they here's, here's the real collaboration. The so then I write this scene that leads up to it. What always had to be done with my scenes is I would always write into the song too far and we chop back, chop back to where the song would actually start singing. And then I wrote this little thing afterwards, oh, George, you play my heart like a concertina. You know, because I knew that for the people that were nervous, they needed a little laugh. Arthur was one of his, a dog out. <laughs> he hated the crash of the waves. And, and and said, at least make it splash of the waves. So right into the scene it went, you know, and became the, I'm not so sure about the crash of the waves as being the Mediterranean, but in essence, you are <laughs> correct. And, and away it went. But it you was, see, what he wrote, what Harvey <laughs> actually wrote was an oblique love scene, which is why I, I like it so much and why it's, it's fun for the actors. Gives because them it, to play. it's slightly off and there's an undercurrent of trouble too. And then you get into the song, and I had said to Jerry, I know exactly how I'm going to stage that song. I want those two men to sit at the table and not move. Too often there is too much movement during a song. Hosanna. And if the song is good, and particularly as with Jerry's songs, if they have an emotional content, you act them. And you don't have to flail around and do a lot of fancy dancing and a lot of stuff going on, rely on the material. And that moment is dynamite for the audience, and all you have are two actors sitting at a table acting what happens to be a scene and a song. I heard la -da -da -da, da -da -da, as we walked on the sand. I heard la -da -da -da, I believe it was early September Through the crash of the waves I could tell that the words were romantic Something about sharing Something about always Though the years race along I still think of our song on the sand and I still 
try and search for the words I can barely remember. Though the time tumbles by, there is one thing that I am forever certain of. I hear interesting was when we first opened you got to remember when you're out of town the word of mouth just starts so nobody really knew what to expect of La Cage Fall. Our second preview was a benefit that had a large gay audience was our was our AIDS benefit. We had this large gay audience come in which was the first time that we could watch the gay reaction to it or I could watch that and when the love song started the gay men who didn't you know that nobody had told me it was a good show yet you gotta right, remember, they right, don't know what it's gonna right. be. They start singing a love song to each other, and I watch the audience sink down into their chairs in embarrassment. And as the song went on, and the dignity of that song, and the dignity of the way those two men play that scene, they started sitting up in their chairs with such pride to see two men singing this beautiful love song to each other, and the scene ended and the place, you know, they were tearing the chairs out the end of the love scene. We hadn't even hit the climax of the first act yet. I mean, we were in the middle, that's, that's like the center of the first act. They were tearing the chairs out of the, out of the theater. It was, it was an incredible moment of pride, incredible. But you get with a straight audience, uh, they don't get pride, but they get total identification. Oh, yeah. From his dressing room at the Palace Theatre, Tony Award winner George Hearn recalls his audition for the role of Zaza, the leading lady of La Cage aux Folles. Well, I didn't know it was even being done as a musical. My agent called me and told me that they wanted me to audition for it. And would I, uh, if they furnished the wigs and the makeup and the dress, would I come in and do a drag thing? And I went to a month and a half of soul searching in and out of whether I wanted to do that or not. In my macho moments with a few drinks, I didn't want to do it at all. And then uh, I would talk with various friends. And among the thoughts I had was, if I don't do it, Kevin Klein will, and he'll walk away with great reviews. Because <laughs> I knew it was a part of a lifetime. And then when I heard Jerry's score I th and uh, read the book, which was real good, mm. it's funny seeing early stages of musicals and the book immediately was, I knew it was right. And then I went in, and uh, it was uh, as And as you I did the whole, uh, the whole number in the audition? Well, they did for me, and Teddy Azar did all the makeup, and the, there was a rather by my standards now, ill-fitting dress there, and uh, some kind of ballet slippers. And Do you recall what you sang for audition? I sang My Heart Belongs to Daddy. Uh, da, 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 da. Did you sort of do it all of Mary Martin? Or? I didn't, I think I did it in a, in a total uh, flop sweat panic. I just sang it rather straightforward, uh, a little goofy, a little campy, I guess. And uh, I remember I said that was the walk from the proscenium arch to that piano in the middle of the I think it was the Belasco stage. It was the longest walk of my life. <laughs> Were you and conscious of trying to be feminine as no, you No, not at all. Not at all. And as a matter of fact, later, uh, all of them said to me that was one thing that, one of the things that won them right over was that uh, Arthur said, I was overcome by your sense of dignity. And he said, that's what matters in this part. And uh, immediately afterwards, he, he came up and he said, well, as far as I'm concerned, as far as all the rest of them are concerned, the part's cast. 
Here at La Cage, we live life, how shall I put it, on an angle. Take a deep breath, a sip of champagne, and open your eyes. What do you see? It's rather gaudy, but it's also rather grand. And while the waiter pats your check, he'll kiss your hand. The clever gigolos romance the wealthy matrons at La Cage It's slightly 40s and a little bit new wave. You may be dancing with a girl who needs a shave. Where both the riffraff and the royalty are patrons at La Cage La Cage the metro D is dashing, Cajo fall. The hat check girl is flashing. We import the drinks that you buy. So your Perrier is Canada dry. Eccentric couples always punctuate the scene. A pair of eunuchs and a nun with a marine. To feel alive, you get a limousine to drive you to La Cajo. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Anything Goes with Paul Lazarus. You're listening to an interview with Jerry Herman, Harvey Firestein, and Arthur Lawrence. Herman had difficulty writing one of La Cajo Foles' most moving songs, a ballad called Look Over There. In this song, in particular, I was faced with the biggest problem I had uh, in writing the score because I did not want to write another ballad. I did not want to write a dreary statement that was sentimental and, and, and heartrending because there is great passion in that moment. Mm. He's really berating his son. He's really saying, look what you've done. You've made me go against this man that has taken care of us for 20 years. And there's a fist clenched. And I could not just sit down and write a ballad. And so I put the three rhythm underneath it. And I gave it that, that tension and that passion. And then against that, I used the chromatic simplicity of the melody. And I think the combination has given me not only an, an unusual song, but a very honest moment in the show that I'm terribly pleased with. I think it's the best song in the score. How often is someone concerned with the tiniest thread of your life? Concerned with whatever you feel and whatever you touch. Look over there. Look over there. 
over there Somebody cares that much How often does somebody sense that you need them without being told When you have a hurt in your heart you're too proud to disclose Look over there Look over there Somebody always knows When your world spins too fast And your bubble has burst Someone puts himself last So that you can come first Count all the loves who will love you from now till the end of your life. I would rather have somebody hum on the way out of a theater than, than get paid. And I, I mean that, and Arthur knows I mean that with all my heart. That's my reward. And to hear those audiences in Boston leave the theater singing, well, I mean, there, there is no review, there is no award that I could ever receive that is, that is a greater thrill for me than that. When your world spins too fast And your bubble has burst Someone puts himself last So that you can come first So count all the loves who will love you From now till the end of your life and when you have added the loves who have loved you before Look over there Look over there Somebody I would like to tell you one little story about how this collaboration has worked. Harvey came in with a scene that ended act one, and it had the words in the scene, I am what I am. I think they were in a line of dialogue at that time. And I ran to the piano when the two of them left my, my home, and I wrote the song, I am what I am. Terribly excited, and the next day, played it for Harvey and Arthur. They were both very excited, but Arthur said, I think this would be better if it came from a piece of entertainment, another number that these people did in the play, rather than uh, just a statement that comes out at the end of the act. And I saw what he was aiming at, and that's what made me write, We Are What We Are, which is the opening number. So it was done backwards, but it was done because the three of us worked as one mind, and I took the idea from Harvey and the wonderful gimmick of using the strong statement, I am what I am, coming from a piece of entertainment that these people do in this club every night from Arthur. And that's collaboration in the theater, and the success of that moment is not my success, it is our success. 
what I am. I am my own special creation. So, come take a look. Give me the hook or the ovation. It's my world that I want to have a little pride in. My world, and it's not a place I have to hide in. Life's not worth a damn till you can say, hey world, I am what I am. I am what I am. I don't want praise. I don't want pity. I bang my own drum. Some think it's noise. I think it's Different angle. Your life is a sham till you can shout out loud. I am what I am. I am what I am. And what I am needs no excuses. I deal my own deck. Sometimes What is the show about for each of you? Do you share and have differences about what the show's about? I don't think basically we have differences about what, what it's about. I think we would certainly say, which is almost becoming a cliche now, that it's all about love, because it certainly is. I think the three of us were trying to do an entertainment. Uh, none of the three of us are, are ashamed of that word. This is an entertainment, and Arthur always says, every trick in the book, you know, that I know how to do, I'm going to do in this show. I'm going to pull every beaded curtain and every stuff. Of course, he has. <laughs> if they're not applauding, make them applaud. <laughs> if the show says something on top of that, I'm thrilled and mm -hmm. delighted. But we did not set out to do a message musical. Mm -hmm. And we have done one. And, and because, one. because we didn't set out to do that, the message is much stronger and much more subtle and much and more much beautiful. much gentler. I mean, somebody asked me to sum up La Cage Fall in one sentence. And one, if you had one sentence and one sentence only, I said it had to be, honor thy father and thy mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, that's the theme. You want to know the message of La Cage Fall? That's what it is. Yes, but I think 
any work that's good, and I think this is a very good work indeed, and I'm not speaking as an author now, I'm complimenting these two, is about several things. And I think this piece is about several things on several levels. But I think the real triumph is what a lot of people either don't understand or don't want to acknowledge is that most of the people who are in your audience are against what this show is saying. And they, by the time it is over, they are standing on their feet and cheering it. Mm. And I think that's a hell of an accomplishment. award-winning show La Cage Full. Sound mixing by David Rapkin, associate producer Jeff London. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. 